0: Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Buffy versus Dracula, where Buffy faces off with the legendary count. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can find articles and information about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. As to Buffy vs. Dracula, today we'll talk about Buffy as both protagonist and the damsel in distress. Plenty of plot twists and turns, but the major ones are less clear than usual, affecting the pacing. How Buffy vs. Dracula resets the series for a new season and the game changer of all game changers at the end of the episode, and what distinguishes a game changer from a cliffhanger. There are no spoilers except at the end when I'll talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth for the first time in 2022, and Happy New Year, everyone. I am recording this on January 1st and it is a great way to start the new year. Buffy vs. Dracula was directed by David Solomon and written by Marty Noxon, and the original air date was September 26, 2000. We start with an opening conflict that calls back to the title of the last episode of Season 4. So our opening conflict sometimes relates to the main plot in a story, and sometimes it doesn't. It's just a more minor conflict to draw the reader or viewer in. Buffy is in bed with Riley. He's sound asleep, but she is restless she cannot sleep so right away that reference to the last episode of season four though the word restless is never said in this episode in the next shot Buffy is breathing hard she's chasing a vampire through the graveyard and after some acrobatics like we have not seen in some time including a front flip she stakes him at one minute one second she returns and crawls back into bed with Riley and now she can finally sleep. So this short scene starts uh, what I first was thinking of as a subplot of Buffy's trouble sleeping, sitting still, almost being unable to function normally unless she's fighting a lot. But I think that really is the main plot here, even though the um, the way it's accomplished, is through Dracula. But this is what Buffy is dealing with, her conflict. It's also a nice callback to Faith, who was very open about needing to get in a good sleigh. something that Buffy claimed in the beginning when she met Faith she didn't really feel, but it's become clear that she does. And now this has become a major issue issue for her as we'll see. We cut to the credits at 2 minutes 13 seconds in. Buffy and Riley are having lots of fun. They're throwing a football on the beach right at the edge of the ocean. Riley makes the mistake of teasing Buffy about throwing like a girl and so she throws so hard it knocks him over. He chases her. They're laughing and shouting and wrestling. Willow, Tara, Xander, and Anya sit around uh, Wood that set out to make a fire on the beach, and they all agree that just watching Riley and Buffy makes them tired. And one of them says something I also agree with. Relaxing should involve less exertion. Willow's pretty sure, though, that that's why they're the sidekicks. Buffy and Riley return. They're looking for burgers, but Xander can't get a fire to start. Willow says some Latin and the fire lights Everyone's very impressed. She says it's a simple matter of balancing the elements. And then out of nowhere, rain pours down, the sky's cloud, thunder claps, and they all run for cover with Willow yelling that she didn't do it. Now we cut to movers and coveralls. They're unloading a coffin-shaped box in that thunderstorm. It slips and dirt falls out of the coffin. This is about four minutes in. As the movers complain about why would anyone move dirt, an arm shoots out, grabs one of them by the neck and kills him, and someone breaks out of the box. This really sets off our main plot. The kill happens four minutes, 26 seconds in. Why am I mentioning that? Uh, If you are a longtime listener, you know this is about 10% through the episode, and that's where usually in any Story, novel, movie, TV episode, you'll see the story spark or inciting incident. And here it is Dracula's arrival. So Dracula is the external conflict that uh, mirrors or helps Buffy resolve her internal conflict of feeling so restless and needing to hunt as she'll say later the scene cuts to willow at giles apartment she's helping him scan books into the computer some of them are very old and have no duplicates anywhere Willow doesn't mind helping, but she suggests that winter is a much better time than summer for this type of work. She'd rather be outside, clearly. Giles tells her she can leave. She agrees to stay, but points out that he's been Mr. Project all summer, labeling amulets, indexing diaries, and she draws the line at giant rubber band balls. That's when Giles will just have to get a life. This is some excellent use of... What I think of as friendly conflict in sort of in good fun, willows grousing, but she's not really angry. This minor conflict is an elegant way to bring out some exposition. We've just found out what Giles has been doing all summer, and now we're going to find out more because Giles tells Willow that she can't repeat what he's about to say, especially to Buffy, and he wants her to promise. And Willow responds, oh God, I guess now that I know there's something to know, I can't not know just because I'm afraid somebody will know I know, you know? And Giles responds, did that mean yes? He tells her he's going back to England and he wants all of them to have everything they need at their fingertips. Willow's appalled, she argues, that Giles is Buffy's watcher, well, in a fired way. So more nice exposition uh, for those who are new to the show, reminders for the rest of us. Giles tells Willow it's obvious Buffy doesn't need him and that's a good thing. Willow argues though that the rest of them still need watching and he appreciates the thought but tells her they'll be fine and he'll tell Buffy soon. This starts a subplot of Giles planning to leave. Next we escalate Buffy's restlessness. At about seven minutes in, Joyce offers Buffy some dessert after dinner, but Buffy says she needs to go and patrol. Joyce comments she'll need to get used to the place being so quiet again with Buffy gone away to school. And Buffy suggests they make a regular dinner date. And then she apologizes for not staying now, but duty calls and it's a total drag. However, we cut to Buffy punching out a vampire and clearly enjoying it. As she fights, billows of fog form into a face, a very pale face, dark eyes, dark hair, watching Buffy, and she doesn't notice. Buffy is wearing red leather pants, which I feel like is another callback to Faith, who often wore leather pants. I don't remember if she wore red or not, but I feel like Buffy's costuming throughout this episode gives us clues to how she's feeling, uh, also to the tone of the episode. After Buffy stakes the vampire, she stalks through the graveyard, clearly looking for more vamps then she slows down a voice off screen tells her it was a very impressive hunt Buffy turns as the vampire emerges from the darkness he's wearing a black cape that sets off that pale skin and Buffy tells him that was no hunt just another day on the job and she's a little cocky and says does he want to step up for some overtime and he tells her they're not going to fight and Buffy responds do you know what a slayer is and he says do you when Buffy asks who he is he apologizes he assumes she knew and introduces himself as Dracula and Buffy says get out And we cut to a commercial. So Buffy looked really excited when she said that. And I have never liked that line. I I really can't say why. I would love to hear if any of you have thought about it. It just feels off to me because Buffy looks so excited about possibly meeting Dracula. And this particular Dracula has never struck me either as particularly frightening or terribly charismatic. Also, from a story perspective, looking at it in the whole of this series, we've never heard anything about Dracula in this world. You would think if he exists that it would have come up somewhere or someone would have asked Angel or Spike, is Dracula real? I think that is part of why it feels odd to me that Buffy seems in that moment to accept that this is truly Dracula rather than maybe being surprised that someone would claim he's Dracula if she has no reason to think that that story is real. Or I wanted her to be more skeptical of seriously Dracula, which we will get I feel like that's more authentic than this sort of amazed reaction. When we return from commercial, we don't go right back to Buffy. Instead, Willow and Xander are walking in the graveyard and Willow asks him if it's okay to tell a secret. Xander tells her everyone knows, but she dismissively says it's not about her and Tara. Xander is disappointed. He'd be all ears if she wanted to tell him a naughty secret about the two of them. This also feels a bit off to me. I'm guessing the intent is to do a little more exposition through conflict. But in this case, Xander knows that Willow and Tara are seeing each other. He knows that Buffy and Giles know. It was a whole arc last season, so it it just doesn't read as real to me that Xander is thinking Willow's going to tell him about Tara being her girlfriend. Now maybe he means something else some other sexy naughty secret I don't know but that also made this feel a bit like filler to me especially because Willow now goes on to Xander more about this secret which she's not going to tell him and then we cut back to Buffy. Buffy questions Dracula, is he sure this is not just a fanboy thing? Because she's fought more than one pimply overweight vampire who called himself Lestad. This is more what I expected from Buffy and maybe they just really wanted that cut to the commercial right after the Dracula reveal. Buffy is impressed, however, when Dracula tells her he knows she's Buffy Summers and that she is known throughout the world. He came to Sunnydale to meet the quote, renowned killer, unquote. Buffy prefers the term slayer. Killer sounds so, and Dracula interrupts and says naked. And Buffy responds, like I paint clowns or something. I'm the good guy, remember? And Dracula tells her, perhaps, but your power is rooted in darkness. You must feel it. Buffy claims what she feels is bored. Another Faith callback here, because remember, Faith in buffy's body was really angry when Forrest called her a killer now we are nearing what i think of as the one quarter twist it usually comes somewhere between 25 percent and one third through it should come from outside the protagonist spin the story in a new direction and raise the stakes here it's hard to identify one particular instance but i do think the whole next scene does all of that 10 minutes 35 seconds in so a little bit before 25 percent through Buffy tries to stake Dracula but he keeps turning into smoke and fog and then rematerializing this lends some credence to his claim that he is Dracula Willow and Xander arrive and Xander looks at Dracula and says nice look who's got a bad case of dark prince envy Dracula says I have no interest in you leave us Xander now makes fun of Dracula's accent, asking if he got it from the Count on Sesame Street. One, two, three victims, which I thought was so fun. But Buffy tells Xander she's pretty sure that's really Dracula, and Xander apologizes. Willow and Buffy look entranced. Dracula says this is not the time, and he sweeps his cape across himself, swoops toward them, and then turns into a bat that buzzes them. As a whole... I think the realization that this is really Dracula is what turns the story. It definitely comes from outside Buffy and raises the stakes, no pun intended. We cut to Xander telling the story at Giles' apartment. Xander's very excited about this. We're about 12 minutes in. Willow joins in. She and Xander kind of tag team the story. Buffy comments that Count Famous heard of her. Can you believe it? And Riley says, I couldn't believe it the first 20 times you told us, but it's starting to sink in now. And Buffy says, "Mm, sorry, am I Rapido girl I was just blown away. But Riley points out it's not that surprising. Buffy is the slayer but Buffy says it's the way Dracula said it making it sound so and Willow jumps in sexy I bet he made it sound sexy Buffy and Willow go on about Dracula's dark penetrating eyes Xander wonders if Dracula knows Frankenstein and Tara's a little taken aback that Willow thought Dracula was sexy. Willow tries to backpedal, but Anya joins in on the admiration. She hung out with Dracula once or twice in her demon days, and it was pretty cool. And she says, you know, from a whole evil thing perspective. Giles is sorry he missed Dracula turning into a bat. Now Willow claims she was wishing he were there the whole time, thinking Giles would know what to do. Buffy, though, says she was just thinking bat. This is a nice weaving in of that subplot where Willow knows Giles' secret and is trying to convince him not to leave without directly addressing it. Giles tells him there are a lot of myths about Dracula and the key to defeating him is likely separating fact from fiction. Buffy says they should take things slow, do their homework before confronting Dracula. But Riley's all for loading up stakes and crossbows. He worries Buffy wants to hold off because of Dracula's dark penetrating eyes. She reassures him there was no penetration. They all agree on research, and Buffy says she plans to get a lot of sleep tonight. Her count encounter wiped her out. Riley, though, is wired, so she suggests maybe he should just lay down with her for a while, and he tells her nothing she's suggesting will lead to rest, and they agree to meet in the morning. At 15 minutes, five seconds in, Anya tells Xander she doubts Dracula will remember her. She was a silly young thing of 700 or so. From a roof above, a wolf watches them. Anya declines to go over to Xander's that night. It's White Stay and the bleach smell makes her nauseous. This gives us a little more exposition through mild conflict because now we know Xander is still living in his parents' basement. These two moments between Riley and Buffy and Anya and Sander, are an elegant way of isolating Buffy and Sander, so Dracula can approach them separately. And it's very smoothly done it's a good example of if you need to get your characters into a position where they would not normally be usually we think Xander and Anya would be together you need to have a plausible reason so you're not making the reader stop or the viewer stop and say hey wait a minute why is that you you just did that so that the next scene could happen Anya walks off to go home Dracula appears before Xander And Xander starts by trying to play it cool. He says, Dracula's not so big, a round of old-fashioned fisticuffs. And he bets Dracula would fold like a bitty baby. He goes on and on until Dracula says, silence. Xander responds, yes, master. And then he shakes his head and says, no, that's not. But Dracula waves a hand, tells Xander he'll be Dracula's eyes and ears in daylight and will be rewarded by becoming an immortal. Now Xander's thrilled. He says, I will serve you your excellent spookiness or master. I'll just stick to master. Dracula says, you are strange and off-putting. Go now. And Xander giggles kind of maniacally. That line about strange and off-putting... It was quoted in an article that came out before the premiere of season five released. And I never liked it when I read it in the article. And when I watched the episode, I wasn't a big fan of it either. Maybe just part of me not loving this Dracula, because I can imagine the master from season one saying that line. And I think that I would have really enjoyed it. A short personal update and some listener comments. In December, I took a three week vacation. It was so great just to get out of town. I went somewhere, uh, I went to Maui, warm, beautiful. You could see the photos on Instagram if you need to look at some sunshine as we get into winter. And the especially nice thing was you had to show your vaccination card to get into the state. And everything there is outdoors, all the restaurants, indoor-outdoors. So I felt very relaxed in a way that I just have not in such a long time. Following the relaxation-should-take-little-effort approach, uh, I read four suspense novels, two by Allison Galen, who is uh, a great writer of suspense. If you want someone new to check out, I read the latest and last Mary Higgins Clark and Alifair Burke under suspicion novel the sixth one called peace of my heart it was fantastic I also read a horror novel called baby teeth not quite what I usually like to read for horror because I prefer likable characters and this featured three characters I really did not like but I am glad I continued with it it was a fascinating book and then I read two books about Jean Benet Ramsey and her unsolved murder, which was mainly for pre research for my next mystery novel because my main character, Quill. Her sister was murdered before Quill was born, and this has always haunted her, so she is going to try to solve the murder, and I wanted to know about, a little more about how police would go about doing that. So very cheery vacation reading, you can see. And as far as nonfiction for this year, I've been looking at what I want to write, and I am debating between Pride, Prejudice, and Plot because I love Pride and Prejudice, my favorite book ever. And I thought it would be fun to go through it and break it down, much as I do with each Buffy episode, or a practical guide, fiction writing as a retirement job. If you want to weigh in, please feel free to do so on social media or on the Buffy Facebook page. I also had a wonderful New Year's Eve with my niece and her husband and their new-ish baby. He's like seven and a half months old, so cute, and he loves, loves, loves books. So much so that he tried to eat one last night and they had to fish pieces of the cover out of his mouth. And finally, and then I'll go on to the listener comments. I am very sorry if I missed any of your comments while I was on vacation. A couple listener comments I did find... This was on the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page from Michael or Michelle Shrewsbury, sorry if I'm saying the names wrong, who loved the show and said, it's really great for the Buffy fan in me and the writer in me. I always did wonder, though, in season four, why they never had a tracking device in Spike's chip. Anyway, keep it up. I found your show a couple weeks ago and already I'm up to date just waiting for the next episode. So thank you so much for listening to all the back episodes and for the comment. And I agree. It's, it's another example of the initiative not being quite the formidable foe. I might have liked for the season, because why would you not put a tracking device on the chip, on all the chips you implant in these uh, hostels, as they call them? On Twitter, Tiffany D. Nyheiser, also a writer, commented about season, probably season three and four. The first time I watched Buffy, I kind of missed how badly Faith was treated by the council, yes, but no one else reached out to her either and no one commented on it. No one said, Poor Faith, all alone in that flea bag motel with no friends or family. And Tiffany, that is exactly my experience watching as well. The first time through, I so identified with Buffy that I mainly felt how hard this was for her. She gets back after uh, the experiences in the season three premiere and being away from everyone, having run away after having to kill Angel. And then there's Faith, who seems to be having all this great joy in slang. Her friends are kind of fascinated with Faith. Joyce tells Buffy she should be more like Faith, be more positive about slaying, more enthusiastic. And it feels like Buffy, well, Buffy is in this very dark place. She's really struggling. And Faith coming in for a while makes that worse for her. And it took more than one time, I think. But rewatching, I really started to see more from Faith's perspective. This is part of why I love rewatching Buffy. It works so well, almost always, the first time through. And then there are layers upon layers. And I discover I have more empathy than I thought for key characters, In even most of the episodes, I don't initially like. I see so much of them when I come back. So thank you so much for those comments. If you would like to comment or connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Lisa M. Lily, L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, on the Buffy Facebook page, which you can get to through lisalily.com slash Facebook, or on YouTube, where I also post the episodes. And you can find that, you guessed it, at lisalily.com slash YouTube. At 17 minutes, 24 seconds in, another subplot or maybe more accurately, a character conflict is highlighted when Riley enters Spike's crypt. Spike is armed with a crossbow and he taunts Riley about the initiative. Riley tells him to put down the weapon unless he's bugging for one hell of a headache. So, a little bit more exposition here through conflict. We don't fill in all the blanks if you're a new viewer, but you do find out that Spike can't hurt humans. At least you could. In- infer that from the dialogue because Spike now says he has a lot of demons after him these days so that's why he is guarding his door. Riley offers Spike money for information and asks about Dracula. Spike scoffs quote Poncey bugger owes me 11 pounds for one thing, close quote, and tells Riley they are old rivals, but then Dracula got famous and forgot all about his foes. Spike calls him a glory hound who has done terrible things for vampires as a whole because now everyone knows how to kill them. He also tells Riley that the things Dracula does like turning into a bat or fog are just tricks. It's not that he has any special powers as a vampire. Spike assumes Dracula came to Sunnydale for some closure with Spike, but Riley tells him no, it's all about Buffy, and Riley aims to get to Dracula first. And there's an interesting contrast here because while Spike initially assumes it's all about Spike, that's why Dracula's there. It doesn't seem to bother Spike that, no, it's not about him. It's about Buffy. But Riley, the first second we saw him, was jealous and insecure and only can see this through how it affects him and what it says about him and Buffy. Spike tells Riley that Dracula won't nap in a crypt like everyone else. He has to have his luxury estate, his bug eaters, his special dirt, And a little of this made me think of Angel, not the special dirt and bug eaters, but remember in season one, we saw where he lived or season two, he had all those art objects, his furniture was antique and very carefully curated. Spike's comments about Dracula being a glory hound and just doing tricks, that is one of my favorite parts of the episode, this idea that Dracula is no more evil and no more dangerous than other vampires, unlike Angelus, who clearly is and even Spike, who has killed two Slayers. But he is just really good at PR, and he's pretentious. So maybe that's why in the Buffyverse, we haven't heard of Dracula before. Maybe nobody who really knows is that concerned about him. When Riley asks if the luxury accommodations means he should look for mansions, Spike is very clear. He says, no, I'm saying you should go home to your super honey. Have a nice, safe snog. You're out of your depth on this one, boy. So he is playing on Riley's weakness, probably purposely, and Riley doesn't take it well. He tells Spike that unlike Buffy, Riley has no problem killing Spike, despite that he's helpless. Spike says he'd like to see Riley try the two-face off. Riley is like a foot taller than Spike, steers down at him. Spike backs off and Riley leaves. Now we're in Buffy's bedroom and fog swirls into her room through a partially open window. A gust of wind wakes Buffy. She sits up and sees Dracula standing there. He tells her she's magnificent. We're about 21 minutes in, and Dracula denies that he says that to all the girls. Buffy is different. She's kindred. Buffy's wearing a lacy-edged nightgown, very unlike Buffy's usual sleepwear. We've almost always seen her either in pajamas or a tank top and pajama pants or sweatpants. It gives it a very gothic feel. Buffy disputes that she's kindred, but she pulls her hair back when he tells her to. Dracula says, I have searched the world over for you. I have yearned for you, for a creature whose darkness rivals my own. And at 21 minutes, 48 seconds in, he sits next to her on the bed. So right around here, we're at the midpoint of the episode. And usually there we see a major reversal for the protagonist, Or the protagonist make a major commitment, commit to the quest, throw caution to the wind, vow to do something. This scene with Dracula is a reversal for Buffy. She's not able to fight him. She does what he tells her to do, and now he touches the scar on her neck from where Angel bit her. He says that the vampire that did it was unworthy and goes on, he let you go, but his embrace, his bite, you remember. Buffy says, no, Dracula tells her not to fight. He can feel her hunger, and he bites her neck at that same spot. In some ways, you could see it as a commitment that Buffy doesn't fight you could see it as her choosing not to fight Dracula but she is not exactly chock full of free will as she will be later in the episode so I think it is much more of a reversal we cut to a commercial we return on a sunny morning in Buffy's bedroom she looks at the bite mark in the mirror and then wraps a scarf around her neck to cover it so this scene made me really think about buffy's dual role here she is the damsel in distress another element from gothic horror and that is emphasized by her costuming that lace nightgown and of course that she does what dracula tells her to despite that she's the slayer but she is also the protagonist. She is definitely the main point of view character, which is one of three elements we look at to see who is the protagonist. We do get a number of other people's points of view, Riley's, we get Xander's, a bit of Willow's, but Buffy is the overall main point of view character. The other two questions, is the character actively pursuing a goal? and does the character have the most at stake and here buffy is actively pursuing a goal at first it's to ease her restlessness by hunting and then it shifts to at least uh, ostensibly to stopping dracula Although I think perhaps for much of it, it is to connecting with Dracula and then shifts at the end to learning more about her Slayer legacy. And Buffy clearly has the most at stake here because Dracula is targeting her. Yes, he enlists Xander to aid him, but Xander is a means to an end. He's not the point and he doesn't threaten any of the other characters. After Buffy wraps that scarf around her neck, the scene cuts to Riley handing her a jelly donut that is oozing with red jelly. Buffy shrinks away from it, says no. Xander swoops in and grabs it, saying, mine, mine. Willow announces they have Dracula factoids, and Xander scoffs and says, like any of that's enough to fight the Dark Master. Riley gives him a look, and Xander finishes Bader. This is where I look to see who wrote this episode and I was kind of surprised to find it was Marty Knoxon. because this joke, which is going to play out a bit further and a lot of the humor here just doesn't feel as maybe as clever to me as most Buffy humor it threw me a little that it was Marty Knoxon. I feel like it's rare that a line in one of her scripts makes me pause. And there have been a few like that in this episode. Willow reels off a bunch of facts. Somewhat dreamily, she includes turn-ons, which include, quote, long, slow bites that last for days, end quote. Riley shares that Dracula likes to live in the finer places. Buffy seems a bit out of it and distracted. Giles keeps directing questions back to Willow, who protests she only found out so much because Giles gave her super pointers. Willow explains that Dracula will kill just feed, but he prefers a connection with his victims. Buffy claims she didn't feel any connection. Xander jiggles his knee nervously and taps his fingers and he speaks too loud and he says, see, Buffy didn't feel it. I think you're drawing a lot of crazy conclusions about the unholy prince, Bader. Everyone looks at Xander oddly, but they ignore all of this. They don't question him, which doesn't feel realistic to me. Giles goes on that while Dracula goes through the motions of seduction, The result is always the same. He turns the victim into a vampire. Buffy looks shocked. Xander comments on how intimate that is. Dracula is gifting these ladies with his own blood and blood is life. And again, they all stare at him, but don't seem to pick up that anything's wrong. When they look away, a spider crawls across a table behind the books. Xander kills it and eats it. Buffy fiddles with her scarf during all of this, and as soon as Giles stops talking, she heads for the door. She's going to find Dracula. Riley, telling her it's too dangerous, follows her out. She's wearing pink leather pants now. Buffy insists she's not under the thrall of the Dark Prince, but she refuses to take off her scarf when Riley asks. He pulls the scarf off, sees the bite mark as the others follow them out to the courtyard. Buffy sits kind of hanging her head. Xander disputes Riley's argument that Dracula controlled Buffy's mind, tells Riley he's watching too many creature features. Something else I love. I used to watch creature features when I was a kid with my brothers. And then Xander eats another bug when no one's watching. Buffy says it does feel like Dracula has control over her thoughts, even though a big part of her resists. So now we get to why and when I really start to dislike Riley because he stares at the ground all sulky while Buffy talks and then confirms that in his mind it's all about him because he says he shouldn't take it personally with Angel it's understandable that there would be transference they're both broody immortals Buffy stands looking pretty irritated and says I am not transfurry but then her expression softens and she says I swear to you I'm your girl and I'm gonna stay that way so maybe it's the writers that are making it all about Riley. Because this line, it implies it's not about the concern that Dracula could turn Buffy, a slayer, into a vampire, which is one of Buffy's greatest fears. We saw that back in Nightmares. And also, big threat to the world, a combined slayer-vampire. That seems really dangerous but instead we're talking about oh I'm still your girl and Riley says okay but Buffy's not going near Dracula which which is a good point and the others agree and they agree Buffy can't go home because Dracula's already gotten in Xander offers his place and says he'll watch over Buffy this is also frustrating to me because We've got to buy that no one picks up on uh, Xander's weirdness, including Willow, who knows Xander so well, Riley, who is on high alert about Dracula and Buffy, and Giles, who is still serving in the Watcher role. And yet Xander is so exaggerated in this. And I understand melodrama is one of the elements of gothic Horror, so I think we see that in Xander's reactions and comments and behavior being so exaggerated. But the trouble is, it really breaks the world here that nobody picks up on it. Giles says he and Riley will look for Dracula, and Willow and Tara can do a protection spell at Buffy's house. Willow wonders how Dracula got in anyway, and we cut to Joyce saying he seems so nice and normal, a little pale. Joyce tells Willow and Tara she doesn't normally invite strange men over for coffee, but when they're older, they'll understand. It's hard to date, and sometimes you feel like giving up on men altogether. Willow and Tara exchange glances and smiles, and from that, I take it that Joyce does not know about Willow and Tara's relationship. We cut to the sun setting. Giles and Riley are making the rounds and getting nowhere, but they have a couple more spots to to check. Then there's a quick cut to Xander's basement. Anya complains about having to stay there, slayer sitting while the others get to look for Dracula. Xander takes her by surprise and locks her in the closet, then tells Buffy he's supposed to deliver Buffy to the master. He has a whole deal about being immortal, and Buffy is cool with that. We're about 29 minutes in. We cut to nighttime. There are tree branches waving in the wind and a gray stone castle in the background. Inside, Dracula stands before a stone fireplace. Uh, Another sort of callback to Angel, or at least a similarity. Angel liked to sit in front of the stone fireplace, reading, brooding. There are torches burning all around. Dracula's not ready to grant Xander Immortality yet and tells him to leave. He and Buffy must not be disturbed. After Xander's gone, Buffy picks up a stake to prove she's not under Dracula's thrall, but she puts it down immediately when he tells her to. She then tries to cover and say she wanted to do that as she backs away from him. At 30 minutes 45 seconds in, Buffy says, Maybe I should rethink that thrall thing. She whimpers, looks toward the door, and we cut to commercial. When we come back, Riley and Giles spot a castle which they never noticed before in Sunnydale and enter. They split up, naturally. So again, sort of a horror trope that we don't usually see in Buffy. Usually... Buffy and her friends are smarter than your typical horror movie characters. It's not that problematic because them splitting up isn't going to cause them any harm. doesn't really drive the plot. Nonetheless, I do find it a bit frustrating that they split up in the scary castle. The scene cuts back to Buffy telling Dracula to stay away from her. We're about 31 minutes, 25 seconds in. Dracula advances, asks if she's afraid he'll bite her, and then tells her that's why she's there and to stop him if she wants to. Buffy claims she'll stake him any minute now. Dracula says, do you know why you cannot resist? And Buffy responds, because you're famous? Which is a very funny line. And calls back to Spike's comments about Dracula being a glory hound. But Dracula tells her, because you do not want to. He also tells her her friends won't find them, that he and Buffy are alone, and he whispers, always alone. And he tells her he has so much to teach her, her history, her power, what her body is capable of. And Buffy says, I don't need to know but Dracula responds, You long to, and you will have eternity to discover yourself. First, though, he'll give her a taste and he offers her his blood. If you find the story structure I talk about here helpful and want to apply it to your own writing, you might find my audiobooks useful. Super simple story structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel. Also, the one-year novelist, a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year. You can get them wherever you buy audiobooks or you can ask your local librarian to order either one for you, or they may already have them available. Both Super Simple Story Structure and The One-Year Novelist are also available in workbook and ebook formats. There are links in the show notes at writingasasecondcareer.com under Books on Writing, or at lisalily.com under Nonfiction. <laughs> We cut to Riley searching the castle. He runs into Xander, who says Riley will have to go through him to get to Dracula. Riley's okay with that. He punches Xander, who falls to the ground unconscious. At 33 minutes, 21 seconds in, Giles exploring falls into, um, we don't quite see it. It seems like sort of a half basement. It's, it's a, a pit of sort. He jokes aloud to himself about at least he didn't get knocked out for a change. Three female vampires caress, bite, and kiss him. And he comments that they are the three sisters from the original Dracula story. Giles doesn't appear to hate any of this. We cut back to Dracula who cuts his wrist and asks Buffy hasn't she ever wanted to know what they meaning vampires fight for when her power is so near to theirs and he assures Buffy she won't change into a vampire he hasn't drunk enough from her yet she must be near death and he'll only do that when she pleads for it. Right around here, and perhaps a little before in the episode, I've been looking for the three-quarter turn. That's the last major plot turn, typically about 75% through, sometimes earlier 2 thirds through in a television episode. And it should grow out of the midpoint and be the last major turn in the story that spins the story in yet another new direction. When I first watched this for for the podcast, I thought it was right around here. We're almost 35 minutes in, and Dracula says, You think you know what you are, what's to come. You haven't even begun. Those are the words that Tara said to Buffy in Restless. So another reference to Restless. And Buffy now drinks from Dracula, This is clearly Buffy's choice as she takes his arm after a long pause, she's looking at him, but so much of it comes from Sarah Michelle Gellar's expression, which is very different from the things she was doing when she couldn't help herself, when she was not, uh, when she was under Dracula's thrall. I think this whole scene of Dracula offering her this taste and her doing it, turns the story but the scene is split up by the other scenes with riley and giles and giles and the vampires and i'm not sure why that is done that way maybe for reasons of fitting it in with commercials but it makes it hard to pick out what is that moment that really turns the story i feel like it is buffy's choice to drink dracula's blood but then things happen so very quickly after that she drinks he tells her to find her true nature and we get flashes of what buffy is seeing buffy racing through the graveyard red blood cells uh, streaming through someone's bloodstream uh, her beating heart throughout it we see buffy stabbing staking killing Flashes of the first slayer from Restless. It ends, Buffy looks up and she says, Wow. She punches Dracula, he flies across the room, and Buffy says, That was gross. And then she goes on, You know, I really think the thrall has gone out of our relationship, but I want to thank you for opening up my eyes a little. Dracula says, What is this? And Buffy responds, My true nature. Want a taste? Now they fight in earnest, and then we cut back to Riley, who is still searching for Buffy, but he finds Giles in that pit. He uses a cross to ward off the vampires. And though Giles says, thank God you came, he's a little bit reluctant to leave and he tries to go back for a shoe that dropped off his foot and Riley tells him, no, 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 sir, no more chick pit for you. Now we are at the climax where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve it. And this is where the pacing of the episode continues to feel off for me, because we only just had that less major plot turn, and now we are at the climax. And maybe the reason for this is there is a lot that happens at the end of this episode that, that is part of the falling action, which we'll get to, and that game changer that I mentioned So at 37 minutes, 17 seconds in, Buffy and Dracula keep fighting. It is clear that she is trying to kill him and he is trying to kill her. No more him trying to change her. No more thrall. She grabs one of the torches, advances towards him and says, a guy like you should think about going electric. Seriously. He turns into swirling fog, but Buffy this time, she watches it dissipate and sees the faint trail that goes across the room. She grabs a stake, runs to right where he materializes, says, "How do you like my darkness?" now and stakes him. He drops to the ground. All the same, it it feels a little anticlimactic that this is all she had to do to defeat him. And I I guess the point is that it is what spike said it's not that dracula is so much more powerful he has these uh, spells and tricks to create these illusions but it's not that he is that much more formidable a foe once you take those away. Also, going to the entire plot of the episode, it is Buffy. She wasn't resisting because she didn't want to, because she did long to know, as Dracula said. And then when she got a glimpse of that power, that darkness, uh, she was able to make a choice that that was not what she wanted to dive into with Dracula. She did not want to be with him. Him in that darkness. And from a uh, storytelling perspective, from putting together the plot, part of the problem is once Buffy realizes that there really isn't much left to happen. She just fights Dracula until she defeats him. So unless we extend the fight, there's nothing to happen. It's just a fight scene. It's a fun fight scene, but it's just a fight scene. So there isn't much that needs to happen to get us from that major turn to the climax, which makes me rethink that maybe the last major plot turn really is Buffy realizing that she is under Dracula's That happened about 31 minutes in and that's when Buffy, uh, she picked up that stake and then she puts it down again when Dracula tells her to. I think the reason that doesn't feel like a major plot turn to me is that we as the audience knew Buffy was under Dracula's thrall but apparently she did not. Either way we are now at the following action. This is the part of a plot that comes after that climax resolves and we tie up loose ends resolve any subplots and here The show is also going to introduce the next episode in a way. So I do think that contributes to that sort of odd placement of plot turns and pacing issues. At 38 minutes, 23 seconds in, Buffy has just dusted Dracula, Giles, and Riley burst into the room. Riley asks if she's okay. Buffy smiles and says, yeah, chock full of free will. Xander barges in demanding to know where's the creep who turned him into a spider-eating man bitch. Buffy tells him Dracula's gone and Xander's angry. He says, damn it, you know what? I'm sick of this crap. I'm sick of being the guy who eats insects and gets the funny syphilis. As of this moment, it's over I'm finished being everybody's butt monkey. And I feel like this is Xander talking to the writers or talking to the audience or the writers talking to the audience is more accurate. And this is one of the ways there is something of a reset in at least Xander saying, look, I don't want to be this goofy guy anymore. I don't want to be the victim. Buffy holding back a smile says, check, no more butt monkey. Which again, this just doesn't feel as clever as the usual humorous lines in Buffy, Riley tells Xander it could have been worse, at least Xander wasn't making time with the Drackey babes like Giles was. They all leave, but Buffy returns as Dracula materializes again from fog. She stakes him again and says, you think I don't watch your movies? You always come back. He tries again and Buffy says, I'm standing right here. He drifts back into fog. This feels unsatisfying to me uh, because it suggests she didn't kill Dracula and okay maybe Dracula has to continue. We can't really have Buffy kill Dracula because clearly there are still Dracula stories in the world and maybe it doesn't matter because Buffy learned what she needed to. We presume Dracula is going to slink away from Sunnydale now but usually Buffy has a more definitive ending and that is the type of story I enjoy more next we tie up the Giles leaving subplot but also start a new direction and another reset for the series Buffy is at Giles apartment tea and cookies sit out on the coffee table which surprises her she asks why does she get the little cookie treatment Giles says he has something to tell her and Buffy has something to say too he insists she go first And Buffy says, you haven't been my watcher for a while. And Giles' face becomes so still. Buffy goes on, I haven't been training and I haven't really needed to come to you for help. She looks at him, but he is looking straight ahead, not at her. And he says, I agree and sets down the teapot. Buffy tells him that the whole thing with Dracula made her face up to some things, Ever since the spell where they called on the first Slayer, so another reference to Restless, she's been going out every night and Giles says patrolling and Buffy says hunting. That's what Dracula called it and he was right. He understood my power better than I do. He saw darkness in it. I need to know more about where I come from, about the other Slayers, and maybe, maybe if I can learn to control this thing, I could be stronger. I could be better. But... I'm scared. I know it's going to be hard and I can't do it without you. I need your help. I need you to be my watcher again. Anthony Stewart head is so fantastic because his face alters ever so slightly. He blinks, but we just see this emotion at Buffy saying she needs him again and Everything changes in an instant. And Buffy sighs and says, wow, I just keep talking, don't I? I'm sorry, you had something you wanted to say. Giles smiles, says no, it's nothing, and sips some tea. And just with that, we know Giles is never going to tell Buffy that he was going to leave. And now he's staying and he will be her watcher. So that is another reset in a way for the series because... Last season, all of season four, Giles was pretty lost. He was struggling for what is his role now that he wasn't the official watcher. The library was gone. He had no job. And Buffy increasingly seemed to not need him. And despite that he encouraged that, From the beginning, it was very hard for him. This is the first example of a game changer. So a cliffhanger is where you don't resolve your main plot, your key conflict, and you leave the viewers or readers hanging. So here, if... Buffy and Dracula fight. It looks like Dracula is going to prevail and kill her and cut. End of episode. You have to come out back next week to find out what happens. That would be a cliffhanger, a game changer. You've resolved your main plot and something happens that changes everything going forward that is what happened with the subplot this scene both resolved the subplot is Giles going to leave how is he going to tell Buffy and change the game going forward Buffy and Giles will have a different relationship and Buffy's aims and goals have changed At home, Buffy says she's going out. Joyce tells her to have a good time. Buffy walks into her bedroom and a girl is there. She has long hair. She's 12 or 13. And she turns as Buffy says, what are you doing here? She just gives Buffy a look in response and Buffy half glares at her. We cut to Joyce who calls out to them from the other room. Buffy, if you're going out, why don't you take your sister? Buffy and the girl look at each other, then in an identical whiny tone say, mom, and we cut to credits. So this is that game changer of all game changers. Now the entire world is truly different. The first time I saw this, I thought that they were going to try to shoehorn in the little sister the way some shows did at the time. And somehow say that this little sister had been, I don't know, living with Buffy's father. And I remember on the message board, the bronze back at the time, other people commenting on that and and kind of saying, oh, this is going to be terrible. You know, now suddenly what? Buffy has this sister we didn't know about. And there was a saying back then on on the bronze which was trust in Joss like he he is not going to just try to wedge in this little sister as if she has always been there it turned out to be a plot change I didn't love the first time through but I ended up thinking it was one of the most interesting in all of Buffy so I'll just say that I'll save the rest for foreshadowing and for future episodes There is no DVD commentary, but I did find a short interview with writer Marty Noxon on the BBC's website that sheds a lot of light on Buffy vs. Dracula. And I'll put a link in the show notes Marty called this episode a tortured project, and she said Dracula was, quote, symbolic of somebody who had reached the pinnacle of his oeuvre, and he was saying, you could be my queen. He basically thought she'd make an amazing vampire, meaning Buffy, and that to me was thematically resonating with all the questions of identity that Buffy goes through in season five. I love this point it makes me like Buffy versus Dracula a little more but I feel some of the things that Giles and Willow say undercut this. Giles and Willow talk about how Dracula Always wants a connection, a seduction that the victim must want to be turned, but the result is always the same. The victim becomes a vampire. So this makes it seem like, well, this is just Dracula's usual way of operating and it's not about Buffy. Knoxon also said, They didn't do this as a ratings grabber and that originally this was just going to be about another vampire who, uh, quote, rode horse and was all cool. But Marty kept talking about Dracula and Joss Whedon finally suggested that they just make it Dracula because the character is public domain. And Noxon said they never really thought of it as a stunt until then. But then, of course, it turned out to be one. Noxon said, quote, and in some ways, I think it raised expectations for the episode that we couldn't quite fulfill in an hour it's a big myth to squeeze into 42 minutes I could have used a little less of the myth and more of uh, sort of Buffy's take on the story a more original take but I can see where that would be really difficult if you're going to use Dracula you want to use the key elements from it Noxon said that she wrote an entire draft, threw it out, then wrote another draft. She also said they reshot the ending, quote, because we were trying to pack a lot of ideas and a lot of sex appeal and a lot of jokes into one episode, which had its good points and its bad points, end quote. And I think that quote is a great summing up of the episode. Throughout this episode, I kept noticing the gothic themes and had so many ideas about that that I am recording a bonus episode for patrons about how Buffy vs. Dracula both explores these tropes of gothic horror and subverts them. If you are already a patron, stay tuned for that on Patreon. And if you are not a patron and would like to become one, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash lisa m lily that's l-i-s-a m as in marie li so that is it for the episode other than foreshadowing which i hope you'll stick around for thank you so much for listening and please come back for the next episode in two weeks Real Me, where we learn how this new little sister sees the world, but not necessarily who or what she really is. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. The most obvious, of course, is that the whole season essentially is about Dawn, Most of that I will talk about in future episodes. Right now, what makes me curious with Buffy versus Dracula is when exactly were the monks doing the spell that created Dawn? Did it? happened between the time uh, Joyce talked to Willow and Tara because we don't see Dawn then although I suppose she could have been somewhere else in the house I do think it's clear Dawn did not exist when Joyce and Buffy had dinner because Joyce talked about how it would be so empty when Buffy went away to school again was she created between those two times while Buffy was encountering Dracula And did the monks inserting Dawn into the universe have anything to do with Buffy's desire to be stronger, to learn more, to have Giles as her watcher again? Another foreshadowing is Spike and Riley in the crypt. Riley threatens Spike. He says he'll have no problem killing Spike which gives that moment in a future episode when Riley stakes Spike, and it turns out it, it's with a plastic stake, so it doesn't kill him. But it it really gives that a real fear factor. The first time through, I thought Riley killed Spike. And this conversation between the two foreshadows future ones about Buffy after uh, Spike realizes how he feels about her. And Riley realizes it as well. I love Riley telling Giles no more chick pit for you, and yet Riley will essentially do just this uh, when he goes to these women vampires and and pays them to bite him. And I wonder, does this give him the idea? Also in this episode, Riley connects Angel and Dracula, and in the future episode where he leaves, he will say the reason he pays these vampires to bite him is he wanted to know what Buffy felt when they bit her. Willow's comment that she's pretty sure that this is why they're the sidekicks Calls back to season four when Willow was angry and says, You know, I'm not just your sidekick. It struck me as uh, interesting that Buffy, I don't believe Buffy ever refers to her friends as sidekicks, though, of course, it's understandable why. Willow in particular feels that way and it does foreshadow a major conflict of season six. I I don't think it's the reason Willow becomes Dark Willow, but she does face off with Buffy. There is that feeling of who is more powerful. Willow's struggles with that are part of her feeling that she is not enough without magic so there's a little bit of a hint of that there also willow talking about how you have to balance the elements when she lights that fire and then rain pours down and we get a thunderstorm definite foreshadowing of the dangers of magic even though we realize well the storm is because of dracula then there are the references to giles leaving and we will see him actually leave twice in season six and there is that question of what his life is without Buffy. Finally, fascinating that Willow says to Giles, the rest of them need watching. I never noticed this before when she's trying to get him to stay. And season six, that becomes a real conflict between Willow and Giles. Yes, Giles is there during that summer while Willow and Xander and Anya and Tara are gathering the things they need to do the spell to bring Buffy back, but they don't tell Giles about it. And then he leaves and they do this spell and Giles is appalled when he comes back. Grateful to have Buffy back, but appalled at the risks that Willow took. And he says something to her about, you're the one I trusted most of all. And this episode suggests that he he doesn't really even pause when Willow says, the rest of us need watching too. And I get that. He has been there primarily for Buffy. Of course, he cares about the others. But that is not going to keep him there. But season six maybe suggests that it should have. So there are a ton of other things I could say here, especially about Dawn, but I will leave them for future episodes. Thank you again for listening and I do hope you'll come back for Real Me in two weeks. Remember you can find back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story and add your comments about them at lisalily.com that's l-i-s-a-l-i-double-l-y dot com slash Buffy story or on my YouTube channel go to lisa slash YouTube and you can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved.